Welcome to Birth Mothers Amplified, giving a voice to the women behind adoption. Hosted by Emma and Mathani. Welcome to our first episode of Birth Mothers Amplified. My name's Emma. And I'm Mathani. And we could not be more excited to be starting this podcast. I can't believe it's here. Just to give you a rundown on what this is and what the purpose of our podcast is, is to interview birth moms about once a week and have them just share their story. We also are hoping to do a panel every once in a while on a certain topic within the adoption realm. So actually coming up, we have one on open adoption. So stay tuned and look out for that. Yeah, super, super excited. Um, Both Emma and I are about four years post-placement and we both realized just how important community is, um, especially when it comes to something so unique as being a birth mother. You know, when we were approached about this podcast, we were really excited to be just one more um, resource, one more platform Mm -hmm. to have conversations and share different birth mother stories because there's all kinds. And something I've learned over the past few years of being a birth mom and joining the adoption community and world is the voice of birth mothers is needed and it deserves Mm -hmm. to be heard And so it's such an honor Mm -hmm. to provide an opportunity for birth mothers to be heard and to let them share their stories. It's such an important part of the adoption reality. Now we get to do that here. I don't know. I I am so excited to be doing it. And today we get to kick off the podcast by hearing Mathani's story. It touches on a variety of topics and issues that a lot of birth moms do experience. Transracial adoption. She's going to touch on that. She's going to talk about working two jobs while pregnant the entire mm-hmm. time. And she is going to talk also about limited support during her pregnancy and adoption journey and what that looks like and, and how that was for her. But also to give background just on who she is. You're a 28-year-old that's yep. lived in Texas for what, five years now? Yep. Right? Five Feels years. longer, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Five years. But originally born in Kenya, moved here when you were about 10, right? Yep. But you did live in California, what, from 10 to, I guess? Till till five years ago. So five years ago. 22? Can we do math? 23? Yeah. (laughs) Now we're just testing her math. (laughs) But you love to watch The Office in your free time. Yes. And I asked you if you had a favorite character and you said, well, it changes every time I watch it. I know. But I was like, how many times? And you said 10. Mm Mm-hmm. That, that blew my mind. So apparently you've had yeah. 10 different favorite characters. This is my favorite thing about you. You said, <laughs> nothing quite sits as well as a quality steak and stiff martini. That's right. Sounds about right. So if you want, so if you want to make Mathani happy, just get her a quality steak and stiff martini. <laughs> You're recently engaged and going to be married mm-hmm. next year which I'm yes. sure is just so crazy to think about, but such a great man mm-hmm. that you're with that yeah. loves and adores you and embraces this story as well, which is awesome. Um, but before we get into your future and what your plans are next, let's go ahead and jump into your story. I mean, take us to the beginning. Where were you at when you found out or what, what place were you in before you began yeah. all of this? I'm going to start te- from 10 years ago, from a decade ago. I grew up... Uh, mostly in California. I lived in a single parent home um, with my biological mother and I have two younger brothers. It was pretty, it was pretty hard. My mom always made it work when it came time for, 
for college. You know, she did what she, everything she could to make sure that I went to a good school. I was only there for one year. And in that one year, I met a friend and we became close very quickly. I got really close with her family because I wasn't as close to mine. And fast forward to 2015, she had been asking me for a couple of years to just move to Texas. You know, they lived in Texas. I was in California. She was only there for school that one year that we met, and then she came back home. By this point, I had no contact pretty much with my biological family by this point. So, you know, I decided to take a leap of faith and just move to Texas. And great state of Texas. Yeah. Made the decision literally within a month. Like, got here and not even a year into living here, I was pregnant. And not just because I'm now in an unexpected pregnancy found myself in an unexpected pregnancy, but because the father was my friend's brother. And so, as you can imagine, that brought on its own complications and issues. And so I knew that I was not ready and I didn't have all the support that I would need to be a parent. Mm -hmm. Um, I had been around, I was aware of what adoption was and is, and I had known people like from church who had adopted before and had seen a positive picture of adoption. Um, but I had also never met any like birth parents. And so I didn't have that perspective to consider. So that was a little scary, but I knew enough to where I at least wanted to explore the option. I went to a pregnancy resource center in my town. They had a bunch of different like pamphlets for different agencies and I ended up choosing one and I liked that they had a dorm program because I now had to kind of figure out where I was going to live. So I was really thankful for that. And so I moved in within a week of finding out I was pregnant by the next week. (laughs) Yeah, it was like a Monday. And then by the next Monday, I was like moving in. It takes me a week to like pick out a nail color. I can't imagine switch. I mean, to make a decision like that. So so yeah. quickly. Wow. And remind me where, I mean, did the birth father know that you were pregnant? Had you told him? Did his family know? As soon as I found out, um, I think I might've taken like maybe a day to process. And then um, I told his parents, I mean, obviously they were shocked. And then I told him his first reaction was, well, when can I take you to an abortion clinic? And I was like, well, that's not what I want. Um, I decided that, okay, well, then I need to figure this out on my own. His parents did kind of walk alongside me through the the whole time I was pregnant. But day to day, I didn't feel much support. Realization that even though they had called me family for so long, that when shit hit the roof, that, you know, they really weren't fully there. So when you were in the dorms... Mm-hmm. I mean, what was that like? Because were there other women there that were mm-hmm. yeah. there as well? Yeah. So in the dorms, we it was a, a dorm for unexpected mothers, so um, who are making an adoption plan. It was really good for me to be around other women who get it, who are kind of um, you know in that same stage of being pregnant and considering. Just to have that support was really big for me. Um, I worked like two jobs my entire pregnancy, which is like wild the entire time. Like my last day was on my due date and my employers were like, you, 
No. Please don't have done. a baby at work. Please don't. Yeah. Because I was a server and a barista. So I'm on my feet all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really good for me to have that, to come home and have that support. And like, you know, some of the women who I lived with in the dorms, I'm still friends with to this day, mm-hmm. um, which is amazing. So what, mm-hmm. take us through now, what was the next step? When did you start looking at potential parents for your little girl? When, when did, how did that start and what was that like? I got my first and only bachelor profiles um, at some point in my second trimester when I got that stack from my caseworker, it kind of like hit me like, okay, this is happening. I really only had three things that I really wanted in a family. I wanted them to have faith, like to be Christian, because that's how I grew up. So I wanted her to have that, my daughter to have that as well. I wanted them to be very close-knit with their families and have good, healthy relationships with their families. And then I also wanted them to really love each other and have like a healthy marriage because for one, that's not something that I had because I grew up in a single parent home. And then also I knew if they really loved each other well, then they were going to be able to do that for my daughter and love my daughter well. Um, those are really my only few things that I, that was on my list. I'm sure my case is probably like, well, thanks for helping me narrow it down. <laughs> um, so it's kind of broad, but I mean, she did a good job of giving me, you know, a good stack of profiles. And, and part of me too was like, felt bad when I would say like, no to, you know, a couple, but at the end of the day, you know, I wanted to make the best, you know, right decision for us, mm-hmm. you know, for me and for my daughter. And so did you have a feeling like, was it one of those moments where you just, you knew or was yeah. it practical? They checked the box. I mean, what was mm-hmm. that like? Well, they definitely appeared to check my boxes. He's a pastor. They had a lot of pictures of family, like doing stuff with family. Mm. And they just radiated a lot of love. Like one of, like, well, the first thing I noticed was their, the front of their book. It was just like a blown up photo of them and mostly their faces. And they just had these really like warm smiles or super inviting. And I just was like excited to just look through their book just based from that one photo. And that photo kind of gave me just like this feeling like, I feel like we might vibe, you know? Mm -hmm. I definitely wanted to, have a phone call and see where that would go. My caseworker went ahead and got that set up and my daughter's birth grandparents on her birth father's side, they helped me put together a list of questions to kind of go over with her eventual parents. And, um, you know, a lot of them were very like faith-based questions, which was important to me for sure. Looking back, I think there was a lot of influence on their part and a little bit of control. But in the moment, you know, I felt very appreciative that they were willing to help me walk through this and be there for me, you know? So at this point, I mean, were they supportive? I mean, I know maybe not in the way that you wish you would have been supported, but what was their response? I mean, you had some of the family members involved. My daughter's birth father's parents were very supportive of the decision you know they wanted the choice to be mine they might have preferred if I would have chosen like someone from their church like they even like volunteered or offered for me to choose a family from their church who had adopted before it just was too close to home and I felt Mm. like you might get messy 
so I said, no, I said, I'd rather just choose a family that's already, you know, been vetted through the agency and that it can be kind of like a, just a clean slate, slate, you know, clean slate. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So So. you did, you chose a couple from Mm -hmm. this book with the radiating smiles Mm -hmm. and you're prepping Mm -hmm. for this phone call. You chose to do a phone call first. And so we're getting the questions together. Um, and something that I had wanted to ask was diversity because obviously I'm black. Her birth father is, um, half white, half Mexican. So she's interracial. And so this is going to be a transracial adoption. And so I wanted. And are, are ask, the adoptive parents white? What race are the adoptive yes. parents? They're white. Okay. Yeah, they're white. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know how, what diversity looks like in their life. And so I wanted to know whether, you know, in their, in their church or in their family or in the community. I'm really thankful because her parents, whether they knew it at the time or not, have been very conscious of the fact that they are raising an interracial child, daughter, and they surround her with diversity, you know, in her toys, in her books, in the shows that they watch. They know that it's important and that's, I'm very thankful for that, you know? Yeah. Well, and for her, not even for you, right? I mean, just- Yeah, no, for her, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So even though you didn't get to have this conversation you wanted to, how did you feel the phone call went? It was so good. I was very nervous, obviously. Um, I thought it was going to be awkward as heck. We ended up talking for like almost an hour and a half. You know, I did not expect it all, but it was so comfortable. And I remember after we like hung up, just feeling very happy and peaceful about them as people and I like wanted to meet them I like wanted to meet them in person let my caseworker know that it went well and that I was you know happy and wanted to move forward we set up the in-person visit which happened a couple weeks after our phone call I was super nervous again I wanted to look cute I wanted them to like me you know as birth moms like we are always nervous and scared that we might not be accepted as our children are will there be a place for us as well, mm. a healthy, you know, obviously place in the picture. And so, and that's such a good, po- that's such a good point because so many people assume only the adoptive couples and families are the nervous ones because, mm-hmm. you know, they're getting chosen, right. but people don't realize mm-hmm. it's a mutual choosing the adoptive couple has to be okay and comfortable with the birth mother as well the birth i had with for my daughter i mean i i didn't even know that component i thought i was the one choosing and i still wanted the adoptive parents to like me i mean maybe that's just because usually we want people to like us especially in such a vulnerable time um and so did you Mm -hmm. feel that what was that like the first time meeting them amazing it really felt like friends reconnecting um when we got there her mom and I just like hugged and like there were tears and it was just, it really just felt comfortable. Leading up to the, the dinner, I had been kind of thinking about bringing up, uh, choosing a name, that conversation. In many cases, adoptive parents have either like a family name or a name that they promised their grandma when they were six that they would name their firstborn, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> and so... <laughs> I wanted to keep a very healthy perspective that 
sure I can offer a name, but I need to be okay with them saying like, no, we actually have this in mind. You know, Mm -hmm. I brought it up and I was like, you know, I have y'all thought about names and I could tell her mom was nervous um, about the conversation too. She was like, we have, have you? And I was like, yeah. And so I told him the name that I'd been thinking of. They're like, oh, we love that. And then they told me the name that they've been thinking of. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so much better. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I'm glad it was that way. I loved, the other. yeah. <laughs> I loved the name that they, that they had picked. And, and they, you know, they said, you know, we would love to have, you know, the name you chose as a middle name, which mm-hmm. I was like floored and so just honored that they would do that the only parenting decisions you have is to make the adoption plan and to choose the parents other than that as a birth mom you really have no say about anything in their life to then be able to be part of the decision of choosing her name that was huge and I do not take that lightly because not every one, no, not every birth mother has that. Well, and and so, it says a lot about them as well, right? Because for a lot of right. parents, understandably, that would be intimidating. Yeah. Names carry so much sentiment and values for them mm-hmm. to honor you in that way and honor her. You know that that's part mm-hmm. of her identity is mm-hmm. a really cool thing. Right. So now take us to the next steps of weeks before hospital. Mm -hmm. having your daughter what that was like yeah so we kept in contact um via text you know i would send send them any photos like from like my ultrasounds and they would ask me about how's work how's work going how's feeling so i try to keep them updated as much as i could especially on our daughter so they were kind of in the loop and then on my due date you know, both my employees, employers were like, no more, you need to stay home, have that baby. (laughs) So now I go from literally working all the time, which I thought because I was working all the time, I would have just dropped her like as soon as my duty came around or even Also people told me like, you're active. So, you know, she'll come early. She did not come early. She came (laughs) almost two weeks past. Oh my God. I like had to get scheduled for, to be induced, which she thankfully she ended up coming on the day I went into labor two days before I was supposed to be induced and then she was born the day that I was supposed to be oh my gosh I was just tired right and coupled with just realizing like these were the last days for her to be just mine you know it was exhausting and so physically and mentally Mm -hmm. and emotionally and so the day before I went into labor doctor was like, well, you know, we're going to go ahead and get you scheduled for a, to be induced and then we'll see you Monday. And I was like, okay. So I was really discouraged. I texted her parents. I told them what was going on and they offered to come pick me up and take me to lunch um, the next morning. So I was excited um, to see them again and just spent a couple hours taking my mind off of the big bowling ball on me, <laughs> in me. And then they dropped me back off that, like, after lunch to the dorms. And then within, like, a couple hours, I went into labor. Two days later, she was here. Oh, my gosh. Insane. Long labor. Yeah. Super long. Um, Lord. Um, <laughs> and so 
Childbirth is wild. Like, seriously, women are incredible. And so who was there with you? Who was there? there? Were the adoptive parents there? So the adoptive parents were not there. I didn't want them in the delivery room when I was giving birth. And I know some women do, but that just, that's not something I wanted. I let them know when I went to labor and I could let them know when she was born. I sent them photos. I had them come the next day. Um, but while I was delivering, my my friend and then her mom were in the room. So uh, birth father's sister and mom were in the room with me. She was here. Like she was born. And I just remember like after they kind of cleaned her off and gave her back to me, I remember just looking at her and being so overwhelmed with how beautiful she was because she literally was like the most perfect little human being I'd ever seen in my life. She looked just like me. Um, I had this, and this is going to sound weird and listeners, I'm sorry if this is weird to you, but I was always scared of having an ugly baby. she was not ugly (laughs) and what's so annoying is I wish I could be like you're just biased (laughs) but no she really was so beautiful beautiful. and she is your little twin just came out looking snatched like I was like (laughs) shook but she was so beautiful and I thought I loved her when she was inside me I was nowhere compared Mm-mm. to when I saw her and got to hold her and she was here. And and you held her, right? You, yes. you wanted to, okay, to see her, to hold, I mean, obviously you saw her, but to hold her as yeah. well. Yeah, I wanted to hold her. I wanted to have as much time as I could with her. Originally, I wanted to breastfeed her as well. But once I saw her, I was like, oof, I mean, way too hard mm-hmm. as far as like with the bonding. Like I thought it would yeah. just be way too hard. You know, I had that time in the hospital with her and that was really important to me. And I had people come, like friends. I had coworkers come. I had regulars from my work come and bring gifts. And it was so sweet. Um, She was just so showered with love and her parents as well. And the next day, her parents came and they texted me beforehand and said, hey, we don't have to see her. You know, we, mm. we, we just want to make sure that you're good. We want to see you. We want to hug you. We don't have to see her if you don't want us to. And I thought that was like, you know, so kind of them. And again, this speaks about, you know, the kind of people they are. And since then, you know, I've also realized I'm sure part of it was just being cautious because I was still her parent at that point. Like I had not made any final decision even though in my heart, in my heart, I knew it, like there was still the chance that I would figure out a way to parent, you know? And so I can see how that they would have been a little nervous to see her and kind of get attached and then that get taken away, you know? But I, but I also know that they truly were concerned and cared for me. want to make sure that I'm okay because they've repeatedly shown that to me in the last almost four years. Like it wasn't something that ended once they had the baby, you know, once Mm -hmm. they had our daughter. And so, but I was like, no, you're seeing your daughter. Like, I want to, you know, see, see all me. And so they came, we got to kind of visit together. They brought me flowers and. And did they have that hesitancy that you were talking about? So I saw it. So after we visited together, I had the nurse bring 
um, our daughter in, I could just see on their faces like a roller coaster of emotions. I just saw so much love. I saw heartbreak. They definitely were hesitant to pick her up and they just were looking at her. And I had to like urge them to like pick her up, like it's okay. And then as they were holding her, I could see um, her mom look at her and then look back at me and just just the love and the heartbreak intertwined was, as I'm sure you can imagine, just a lot. (laughs) It was overwhelming. And, you know, I was so happy to see them look like a family, like, but also my heart was literally breaking in pieces. (laughs) And so were you questioning mm -hmm. things or were you confident about the decision throughout the entire time? I, I was very, I was very confident until I gave birth and then it got really hard, especially when it was just me and her and no one else in the room. I would just look at her and just cry and just like ask myself, like, how am I going to do this? Like, how am I ever going to like let her go? And then I would look at her again and see just how perfect she was and is. And I everything I wanted her to have, I wanted to give her, I didn't have. And so I had to make this decision and I just had to, Mm. like, I I saw no other choice in those moments. Yeah. So obviously the hospital was a roller coaster as it is for most birth moms, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I mean, having the adoptive parents there before you even signed the relinquishment papers, you know, and signing yeah. away your rights. So take us to yeah. that. So I signed at 40, like a little after 48 hours. So I gave birth on a Monday at 1241. So I couldn't sign in the state of Texas, you have to wait 48 hours. And so I couldn't sign until Wednesday at 1241. And so I remember I woke up pretty early that morning and just was holding her and just talking to her and just kind of realizing that this was like one of the last times I was going to hold her as her parent, as Mm. her mom, you know, letting myself sit with that. And finally it was time to let her go, you know, and sign the papers. And I remember they asked me like, well, do you want her in the room when you sign? I was like, no, (laughs) I'll never get through it if, (laughs) if she's in the room. And so they, went ahead and took her and then my caseworker came in and kind of again one more time asked me like is this still what you want to do you know do you understand that this is final you know blah 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 all the legal jargon and I was like yes absolutely and so we started the paperwork and the verbiage was hurt my feelings so bad <laughs> I know. Once I was reading it. And it's it. so funny because they're legal papers. You would think <laughs> right. that you know it's not going to be all nice and right. gentle, but yeah, <laughs> right. no, it's pretty intense. It's super intense and harsh. Um, before I signed that very last one, I bawled and bawled, and then I finally signed it. And where was the yeah. the birth father? Did he claim paternity or did he sign mm-hmm. the papers as well? Yeah, so he um, signed his papers after she was born. So he came to the hospital. Okay. He wasn't there. He wasn't there, like, in the delivery room. I didn't want him there because he hadn't been involved. After she was born, he came and 
got to meet her and hold her. And then he signed his paperwork. And that was pretty much it. That's the last time I've seen him. Before we jump into post-adoption, what that looked like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just even take me to the few days Mm post-hospital and what that was like. And and placement, explain to everyone what placement is Mm -hmm. and what that looked like. So placement day is the day when the biological family officially places the their child with the adoptive family and so for me that happened a week after I gave birth so I gave birth on a Monday relinquished on Wednesday and then that next Monday placed and it's more of a symbolic day too because I could have chosen to relinquish or to place when I relinquished and her parents were willing to give me a little bit more time with her and so I got three visits in between that Wednesday and the Monday that I placed Um, And so in between that time, she stayed with um, a transitional care family, spent a couple hours with her and just have people come and visit and meet her. And so that was good. And then that Monday on placement day, I got to have a longer visit with her. And then after that, we went into like the placement room that they had, that they have at the agency and they had brought her parents had brought a photographer with them. And so he took like photos and we got to just sit, exchange gifts. Um, They gave me this necklace with like these arrows, just symbolizing that our stories are forever connected. And I just thought that was really sweet and kind of them, um, I wear it like all the time. (laughs) It was just very special. And then after we had our time and we brought in the birth father's family, they came and he didn't come to placement day, but his parents did and his sister and her um, husband, they came. And so we got to just visit with them and talk a little bit. And then that was pretty much it. Then, you know, he let me hold her the whole, the whole time. And then, you know, then we did like the placement and like handed her over and that was hard, but I also knew like she was in good hands like I didn't have any doubts at all and that was it then we like said goodbye and um we had agreed just for like post placement we had agreed on doing two visits her first year and obviously sending like videos and pictures and you know texts and whatever throughout the year and then after her first year we would go down to just one visit I was okay with that um about three months into the post-placement, she was about three months old, we happened to be asked to be on a panel um, at the agency. I was in a birth mother panel and she, they were on a doctor-parent panel. And they reached out and said, hey, um, we're going to be the, at this panel. Are you up for a visit? I was like, absolutely. Would love to. So I saw them when she was three months old and she was so cute and still looked like me. <laughs> um, and then saw them again at six months and then one year. And her, her one year visit, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to see them until that next November. We were talking about something and her mom said like, oh yeah, I'm going to see you in May, blah, 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 blah. And I remember thinking like, what do you mean when you see me in May? I thought we were only doing once a year. <laughs> and so I didn't say anything. I just kind of was like, I don't know if she said that in error. I wanted her to feel oh, them to have the choice of if that was said in error, that 
they don't feel bad if I bring it up and now they have to like backtrack, you know? Mm. And then like in March or April, you know, that next year, they brought it up. They were like, hey, we just want to see what you want to do for the May visit. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) So we ended up having now like two visits a year, except this year because COVID has ruined everything. COVID has made me have to move my wedding to next year. And I'm already upset about that. Yeah. Yeah. One (laughs) Um, thing after another. Just one thing after another. And so, and it was really hard not getting a visit in May and Mother's Day weekend sucked big time. But I mean that's nothing that would be any of us could have controlled, you know? You know, you talk about being involved um, in the adoption community and, Mm -hmm. you know, you have this open adoption, you know, it's been what, four years now. Yes. I mean, have you always been, Mm -hmm. yeah, almost four years. So have you always been vocal about your adoption? I mean, what is the process of grief or pride, whatever it is, what has that been like? Mm -hmm. So the first year, after placement, I kind of just did my thing, kind of really worked a lot and did a lot of panels, like adopt uh, birth parent panels. And almost a year after placement, I went public with my my story and pretty sure I broke the internet <laughs> because everyone was like, you were pregnant and you did what? And for the most part, there's a lot to process. To be fair, <laughs> a lot, yeah. Like not just were you pregnant? Yeah. Like, Any chose adoption. adoption? There's a lot yes. of follow-up questions. <laughs> it was a lot. For the most part, I had a lot of support, but I also had a lot of hate and from trolls, pretty much, because <laughs> half the people in my inbox who were like calling me a horrible mother for giving up my baby, I was like, who are you? <laughs> Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was fun. But I mean, I also knew that I didn't want to be silent about it anymore because that just breeds shame and I didn't want to be ashamed about my story anymore. And so that was the first year. And then the second year could kind of continued just not really grieving. Like I never like allowed myself to be sad or mad or anything. Entering my second year, I started following accounts on Instagram because I love Instagram um, of like different <laughs> different like birth mothers who I look up to and like adoptees who I'm so thankful for adoptee voices and um, you know when I hear the different adoptees speaking I like hope that my daughter one day will be able to own her story like they do and like and educate us like they do. And yeah, so that's been really, so that was really good for me to kind of just hear from different sides of the triad. And then also meet birth mothers who were like, girl, you need to feel all the feelings, okay? And also you need to go to therapy. (laughs) So I started therapy. If you're not going to therapy, you need to go to therapy. Yeah. Okay, Mathani says so. Yeah, birth mom or not. Birth mom or not. Yeah. You know, there's kind of a, there's a saying in the birth mom community um, that I heard. Most of the times, the adoption trauma and the adoption journey in our life is the smallest fire we're putting off or putting out. There are so many other things that led to my unexpected pregnancy. Things that I hadn't, you know, gone to therapy and dealt with. 
things I wasn't acknowledging. And so going to therapy has helped me deal with like my mommy issues, obviously adoption trauma and just identity issues, just so much that I never even realized was a thing, but was influencing my day-to-day decisions. And so go to therapy, period. Since then, so then the next, so now we're almost four years in, and since then I've been able to embrace all that it means to be a birth mother, you know, the good and the bad. But it's been good because it not every day is sad, you know, and overall I am glad that my daughter is thriving. She really is. She's doing so well and I love getting to see my decision validated. What is something you wish you would have known at any point during your journey? The big one is I wish therapy would have been pushed on me a lot more um, in the beginning because it's it really has been the difference that that and then obviously community with other birth moms another thing would be just that it's okay for me to feel shitty about the decision I made you know it's okay for me to feel angry or sad or even regret sometimes um that that's okay that doesn't make me a horrible person or evil for feeling bad and then also this is something I I found healing in and was told recently by another birth mom friend of mine is that I am not unfit and that was like huge because I had never like realized that that's how I viewed myself and that's how I viewed the narrative of where I needed to make an adoption plan is I've felt that I was unfit to be a mother when the reality is I'm not. I could have made it work. I could have chosen to get another two jobs and put her in daycare and figure it out. And women, and women do, do it. Yeah. Exactly. And women do it. Well, that is not the story and the life I wanted personally for me or my daughter. But that does not mean that I was unfit to be a mom. And that was huge for me to hear that because I'd never even realized that that's how I viewed myself. And I think a lot of uh, birth mothers do, and we are not. We are just, we did the best we could, with, and we'll never know. You know, I always used to say in the very beginning of my story, I always to say, well, she has a better life. And we don't know that. Like, she has a different life than she would have had with me, but she may have thrived under my care, or she may have not have, you know, but we'll never know. And it's good to just take comfort in that unknown, but I am not unfit. And you as a birth mother are not unfit. We are not unfit. Yeah. And I I think that is, we get caught up in these lies that are such real and raw emotions. It's not to delegitimize that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's true either. But what advice would you give to birth moms or expectant moms who maybe have a decision? go to support groups, you know, be in some sort of community with other women who are going through this, Um, get into therapy. It's hard when it comes to therapy because it is very expensive and I would love to see agencies get to a point where they are able to offer birth mothers or expectant mothers like free counseling, free individualized counseling, because there are support groups, but sometimes like I benefit more from individual counseling. You spend so much time Mm -hmm. 
focused on this little child mm-hmm. and doing what's best for them. Mm-hmm. You need that time and opportunity to focus on you and your story and your circumstances. And like you said, yeah. all the little fires that even led up to that. And then just to, to accept the good along with the bad mm. of adoption, you know, to accept that grief is real and to not put it off, that it's okay to feel crappy about the decision that you made. It's okay to feel like, um, like you regret it. It's okay to feel just sad or angry or whatever it is, whatever it is that you may feel, embrace that, accept that, Mm. and then reach out to someone who gets it. Another reason why I'm just excited that, you know, we're doing this podcast and like joining, you know, other people in this movement is that we can continue to shout it from the rooftops that you are not alone. Like you have people who care about you and want to walk alongside you and sit with you and cry with you through this journey. That's lifelong. It is so important that even if, yeah, your stories are different. I mean, your story Mm -hmm. and my story are very different and you'll hear my story next week, but Mm -hmm. you've said so many things today that, oh my gosh, I could not resonate with more. So before we sign off, I want to give you the floor to say anything else, whether it's about your story or just any last thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I'm just really excited for this podcast and just to be able just to have women on here who can share the story authentically. And I'm just really, really looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Thank you everyone for listening to our first episode and hearing um, Mathani's phenomenal story. Um, (laughs) Next week, we will release another episode where y'all get to hear me talk more and um, share my story. Until then, y'all take care. Thanks, y'all. Birth Mothers Amplified is brought to you by the Gladney Center for Adoption and Adoption.com. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Birth Mothers Amplified. The views expressed may not represent the views of this program or sponsors and should not substitute seeking the advice of licensed professionals. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.